This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to Mind Love, episode 154. Today's episode is all about how our struggles influence our biology. Everybody's story touches somebody differently. We have power collectively to transform. And so many are just terrified to use their voice because there's always that little voice in the back of our head that says, you're not enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to know. It does matter. They do matter. There is a community of people who see you and want to support you. And you don't have to be alone. And you don't have to feel like your struggles are scars. They are something that have made you a warrior. And it is something that is going to allow you to transform generations to come. And your struggle can become your legacy in such a powerful way that it illuminates parts of the world that were dark that we never even knew existed. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Hi, friends. First of all, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast yet, make sure to hit the subscribe button so you're always updated about new episodes. Plus, you want to know basically the best way to give back to your favorite podcasts? actually go to the iTunes app and leave a five-star review. Reviews are scientifically proven to make me love you more. That's just how it is. I love you when you leave me a review. You sit in my heart for days at a time. No, but seriously, they really help the growth of the show. They're probably the number one thing that you can do besides supporting my sponsors or joining the membership. So it's an easy, free way to give back to a podcast you love. And if you do leave me a review, send it to me at mindlovemelissa on Instagram, and I'll send you a free meditation track. This week, I want to share my favorite podcast review by Girl Mom 3 She says, Melissa, not only are you an amazing and inspirational speaker, you have the voice of an angel. I love this podcast. I'm actually glowing. So thank you so much for that. But now let's talk about some stuff. I have said so many times in my life and on this show that it seems the most interesting, complex, and inspiring people I know have all gone through something really hard. They've struggled somehow. And it makes total sense. Struggles help us develop resilience. Often, just in order to survive, we start searching for things, for help or resources or conversations, maybe even something inside ourselves like our own strengths. And in that journey, we discover things about ourselves and things about the world. But that's the thing. The word I said was often that's what happens. But not everyone who struggles finds their light. Some stay in the darkness. Some feel beaten down by their experience and they just can't seem to find the strength to just get up and get out of it. They feel like the world is against them or they're a victim of their own circumstance. So what's the difference? Why is it that some people's struggles seem to make them, while others break them? This question will always remind me of the book Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. It's actually one of my favorite books that I've read this decade. The author was a Holocaust survivor. And in his own path to healing, he started to talk to other survivors. 
And he noticed that many of them had made something of their lives, and they developed that resilience that I talked about earlier. But others just seemed broken, like they couldn't recover, like this one event just shattered them, and they could never quite put the pieces back together. So he started to explore why. And he discovered that the big difference was finding the meaning. He even developed a whole type of therapy called logotherapy. Fun fact, logo is a Greek word for meaning, which does suddenly bring a new dimension to branding, right? Well, at the heart of logotherapy was that the primary human drive isn't pleasure, which is what Freud had always been saying, but rather the discovery and the pursuit of what the individual finds meaningful. So thinking back to my own struggles, this all makes perfect sense. I lost my dad and I was sexually assaulted and then I lost a friend to suicide. So I just started to think, wow, being an adult sucks. Apparently, I've been sheltered from how the world really is. And I just started to expect that bad things would happen, which is a really low expectation. And we all have that friend who has really low expectations in relationships, right? It's not that she just coincidentally finds terrible people, but she accepts them as an option and she actually lets them into her life. Whereas that friend with high expectations is just like, nope, bye. So for me, that really reflected in my life. I accepted negative people and things and even my own ideas. I lived recklessly because things were bound to happen anyways, right? And what happened? My life was reckless and bad things happened and I accepted all of it. I was treating my body terribly. I didn't speak to myself well and my rock bottom just kept getting lower each year until the pain of staying where I was became greater than the pain of change. And finally, I started to do something different. I didn't really know what I was looking for at the time other than just to feel better. But what I started to find was meaning. Maybe I heard everything happens for a reason for like the hundredth time in a yoga class and I finally started to think, okay, well, if that's true, then what's the reason? And to be fair, a lot of this understanding came in hindsight. I did start making better decisions, choosing yoga over brunch mimosas, some days at least, (laughs) or reading a book instead of popping a molly again some days at least, again. And after a while, I started gaining new perspectives and new pieces of wisdom that began to override this story that I just kept telling myself. And now, even recounting the whole experience, it can be kind of difficult to pinpoint the thing that helped me pivot because there's just so much about that girl that I don't recognize. Or the hindsight bias creeps in, making it seem clearer than it was at the time. It's pretty easy to feel beat up by life when things keep going wrong. (laughs) And I think we can all relate to that a bit just in 2020, right? So how do we start to find the meaning in the things that we've gone through? We're so used to saying the same old story to ourselves. We're so used to remembering the pain. We're so used to remembering just how hard it was to be there. And this story that we told at the time that we continue to tell now. So how do we start to recognize the wisdom from our own achievements instead of just the details of the story? Well, this is exactly what our guest today focuses on. She says that for a lot of people, you've been carrying the burden for so long that you don't give yourself the credit for learning how to carry it. We get used to telling the same old story about what happened to us, how hard it was, how much it hurt. And these words become so loud that they're all we hear. 
like affirmations causing us to relive our own trauma over and over again. So how do we get out of that loop and start to see our stories from a higher perspective? Well, that's what we'll be talking about today. And our guest is Kirsten Beverly Waters. She's a yoga medicine teacher, fitness coach, author, and motivational speaker. And she credits the low moments in her life for really enabling her to find her voice and harness her powers. And today, she'll be going over with us how our individual stories and struggles help to shape our biology, giving breath to our individual superpowers. Three key things we will learn are how our personal struggles actually influence our biology, how to examine the four points of your personal compass, and why letting in is just as important as letting go. But before we dive in, do you ever wish you could start each day with a little reminder that we're more than our struggles? Just sign up for the Morning Mind Love for daily inspirational messages right to your inbox. I get messages from people every single day about how the Morning Mind Love is their favorite way to start their day, or that the message that came through is exactly what they needed to hear. It's kind of like your own personal inspiration oracle. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do, like a free guided binaural affirmation meditation designed to rewire your brain to your highest self. And you'll get one of my favorite tools, a booklet of my personal power lists to help you gain clarity and live each day with intention. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Kirsten Beverly Waters to the show. Thanks for having me. So I'm curious, what got you so interested in studying and writing about human struggle? Well, I think that struggle is a universal language. So I think that it's something that we can all relate to. It doesn't matter where we are in our lives, age, gender, geography. But I specialize in fitness and wellness, yoga, and people come to me are often struggling with something, right? Usually it's very physical. <laughs> And so my experiences, even professionally, are usually surrounded around how to help others in their own struggle and moving from the outward and looking inward. And it actually, like, the, the process came pretty organically and maybe a little silly to some, but I was in a meditation and it seemed like it was a very short period of time. I thought that 15 minutes had passed and it had been nearly three hours. And when I came to, I just had all of these words in my head and things that needed to be said and experiences that I've had that I felt I was finally ready to share. Certainly this book brings up a lot of vulnerability for myself. Anytime you write anything, right, is is a vulnerable experience because people aren't just judging how you write it, but it feels a little bit personal. Like they don't like it, they're judging you. <laughs> and so I wanted to be able to share my story from losing my father at a young age, uh, battling cancer, and then also dealing with my sexual identity and felt like these are things that maybe not everyone connects specifically to, but that the underlying message is that if we take the time to look at our struggles and look at the stories that we're telling ourselves about our struggles, that they can either keep us from growing and keep us stuck in place, or they can become the catalyst to transforming our lives. I resonate with that so much. I spent really a lot of my early 20s in victim mentality, but I didn't see it as being in victim mentality. Like I thought there was this one 
you know, it was those people that were just constantly complaining about what happened to them and the world's against them. I wasn't like that. For me, I had gone through a bunch of things, including losing my dad, sexual assault, a number of other things in a very short period of time. And I always thought I could just kind of blaze through this. I'm going to act like it didn't happen. But my decisions and my behavior were really sinking further into that victim or thinking, not understanding fully my own power or that it was my decisions that were attracting more of these things to me. And of course, not everything. Like, I did not cause my dad to die. I think people do get those confused where like attracting their struggles versus causing them or or whatever. But I was definitely hanging out in the wrong crowd numbing through drinking and drugs and all this stuff and then wondering why I lost my phone every other weekend or like you know just all these things where it just felt like the world was against me and and it was through yoga too where I remember I got really into yoga I still am I do it almost every day but I remember actually sitting in the poses and them saying like actually to feel your struggle, not to numb it out. And there was a a moment that clicked for me, but not really until it did. (laughs) I had to wait for that click, which is why I'm curious about the idea you speak about being a struggle guru, because, you know, I probably would have called myself a struggle guru at one point in my life, but only because I was so good at making everything such a struggle. (laughs) So I'm curious, what does struggle guru mean to you? I would like to be very clear that I am not the struggle guru. And really, the book is about evoking our inner guru. And coming from a yoga background, I have a lot of respect for what that word means. It's oftentimes today is thrown around as another way to just say you're a master of something and they're gurus, quote unquote, everywhere. But the guru that exists within us is the deepest sense of our highest self. It is the essence of our being that is connected to the divine, whether the divine for people is, or it is a God or an entity or a being or an energy. There is a higher self that exists within us. And if we can tap into that teacher, we can unlock potential that has always existed within us and be able to use that in our day-to-day lives. It's not something that is only attainable from being able to contort our bodies in special shapes (laughs) or meditating for specific amounts of time. It's something that is as accessible as viewing our stories. So the subplot of Struggle Guru is that Uh, how our biography is influencing our biology. So the stories we're telling ourselves, the thoughts that we have every single day about ourselves, the thoughts we have about our interactions, our connections, our jobs, our relationships, turn into our actions. Our actions become our day-to-day lives and our lives over time impact our bodies. And this can impact our physical health, our mental health, our emotional, spiritual health. And so Struggle Guru is saying, instead of looking at these as scars and battle wounds that keep you from being able to live the the best version of yourself, looking at them a little bit more as like badges of honor that draw you closer to your inner guru, draw you closer to this mastery and understanding that struggle isn't working against us. It's actually our greatest ally and teacher that exists within us to help keep us on the path that really is destined for us. It's so true. I feel like the people that I know that are the most interesting or complex or have the most to teach often have had some of the hardest struggles. And it's because something about life has forced them into introspection in order to come out the other side. So they're either going to let that weigh them down and that story becomes them in a negative way where it's like this story forced me into this box or 
this story taught me how to transcend this box. And so it's one of the two. But I'm curious what you think the difference between the people that use the story as a limitation versus a way to expand. What do you think is happening differently between these two types of people? The difference between the people that use the story as a limitation versus a way to expand, what do you think is happening differently between these two types of people? I mean, there could be a multitude of, of things happening. Um, in my experience, I feel like sometimes it's just understanding or resource, like access to the resource to understand how to change that thought process or change those actions. I mean, it sounds really wonderful to say, well, power of positive thinking. And if you just change your thoughts, you'll change your life. Well, that's great. Like if you're deeply embedded in these negative experiences and you might not even be consciously aware, like you were saying for your experience, you're like, yeah, but I wasn't even aware that I was doing this, right? Like consciously aware of it, that something like this book or teachers, movement practices, educational opportunities where you can connect with people, where you can start to see that helps to unravel it. Um, and I feel like a book is something that's very accessible. It's usually a, a low entry point in terms of cost for people. So certainly my hope is something like this book allows you to sit and examine it as an observer. It's something we talk about in yoga. You know, it's, it's easy to sit in those emotions, sit in those feelings, sit in those experiences, but we're not those experiences. There is a, there's a third person, right? Like there's someone that observes. The consciousness observes from outside looking in. I am not my thoughts. My essence, my consciousness is actually the observer of those thoughts. So that's very hard to wrap our brains around. And so the book, instead of telling people like, yeah, just observe yourself from the outside, asks a lot of questions about your experiences in your life and helps you to kind of like piece some of these um, things together to start looking at that and examine how you might be able to start moving away from those negative experiences. Because people who are stuck in it, like I said, it could be a multitude of things, but I don't think that it's usually that people want to be stuck in it, right? Like I've suffered from depression my entire life, anxiety, worry, and Part of that is due to trauma as well. And people would often say to me when I'm going through depression, like, well, just snap out of it. Like, you're generally a positive person. Do you think that I want to feel this way? Like, but I don't know how to get out of it. And instead of telling me to just get out of it, or people will say, just try yoga, or you should go running, or, you know, try this meditation. That only buries us deeper if it doesn't work for us. But as I said, like, the book gives us some tools to start examining our stories and let us start changing some of the stories. Even if you just change one chapter in a book, like any book you've ever read in your life, if you change one chapter, it could change the entire trajectory of that entire plot line, right? Like you could change where the main character ends up. Are they the hero? Like, or are they the victim? So again, examining the stories, I think that is an access point for people to see if they're going to stay in that position or be able to move forward. Right. I, was sharing a few weeks ago on this podcast about depression as well, because I suffered from depression, especially after my dad died and just my own struggle period. And because I was able to slowly use the tools to move out of it, I almost got on, I forgot how hard it was 
in those low periods until there was a few weeks of going through these lockdowns with COVID. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is what it's like again. I have all the tools. I have the ropes to pull me out of this deep hole that I'm in right now, but I don't want to grab the rope. And that's the hard part of having depression is like you, you can even know sometimes you can be beyond or have the tools to know how you're going to get out of this but you don't want to get up to take those steps. And the struggle is trying to figure out how to get that motivation or how to talk yourself into or whatever it is. And so it was definitely a humbling moment for me to remember that. And thankfully, I did have people to talk to and whatever, but doesn't mean I didn't have those just deep, dark days, a few of these weeks of this whole experience. So one thing that I really liked about your book is you talk about your personal compass and the four points of your personal compass. And I've never really heard it described like that before. So can you go into that a little bit? Yeah. So the the personal compass you're referring to is something that I use with students that I teach. North is our true north, our our essence. Who are we? Um, And I, I, so many people become so fixated on this true north, right? Like who is the essence of my being? What is my purpose that we get so wrapped up in that, that we forget that there are three other points on the compass. So I usually ask my students to step back and look at what anchors our essence of our being. And that's the Southern point. And our Southern point is our spiritual belief system. And that doesn't have, like for me personally, I believe in God, but some people that may just be your belief structure. We all have a belief system, right? Like there's, there are beliefs that we have. So looking at that anchor of our belief system starts to give us some direction in terms of who we are as a person, what influences our lives, what things bring us joy, what things hurt us, what things anger us. So the spiritual compass is the southern point. Eastern is looking at our external or educational experiences. So this isn't necessarily formal education, although it can definitely add to it, but that's life experience, interaction with people, reading, watching television. All of these are experiences that we're internalizing and those will ultimately impact our West, which is our wisdom. So the wisdom that we take, the thoughts that we carry forward and we share with others that we become educators and storytellers is anchored in that education. And as we know with compasses, it's not just North, South, East, West, there's Northeast or Southeast. All of these things work together. And one of the things I encourage people to recognize is if you don't know anything about compasses, if you set your compass to true North and it's off by one degree, that might not be a big deal if I'm trying to navigate myself from my kitchen to my living room. I might end up on the couch instead of the love seat, right? But if I am out in my life and I'm one degree off and I've done it for 20 years, I can end up in a different country. And that's usually where people come to me. They say, I don't know who I am. I don't know how I got here. How did I gain this weight? How did I end up depressed? How did I end up this person? This isn't who I am. It only took one degree off of who their essence, who they truly were, that sent them off the path. And again, speaking to my experience with students that I've worked with in my own personal experience, I find a lot of times that comes from people so desperately want to emulate people that they idolize, that they think that they should follow them. They're like, I want to be a pro athlete, or I want to be a scientist, or I want to be an engineer or a lawyer. So this is someone I idolize, maybe as a family, maybe as a celebrity. And so I set my compass, I set my north to their north. And what ends up happening is I end up in their wilderness. I end up in their experience, not my own. And that's what separates us from being able to really find who we are is we're always trying to just slightly chase somebody else's dream or purpose because we end up in this culture of 
fake it till you make it. And so you follow somebody else who you think has, has created the right path, not realizing that by ignoring the rest of the compass, we've set ourselves askew and it's it separated us. So I, I feel like that's really important for people to work on. And even in the back of the book, there's exercises to address that compass because it is so important to understand where are we going and where have we been and how do all of these things work together to shape what we want out of our life. You want to know what freaks me out about what you just said? Have you watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix yet? I have not. Okay. Highly worth a watch. It's kind of eerie, but it's all about how I've worked in the app industry for years. And so I can totally attest to everything they say. But what it's talking about is how, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, but how suddenly we are seeing all of these people's experiences and their opinions at a rate that we've never, that our brains haven't yet really adapted to, number one. And that's already kind of dangerous because we have this ability to just absorb everyone else's stuff, which is why like teen suicide is up. And there was a clip in this movie about how kids are now asking for plastic surgery when they're kids because they don't look like their own Snapchat filters, which is terrifying. And so all this stuff that you're talking about is like, well, we're moving our compass a little bit every time we filter our image, every time we read somebody else's possibly fake life, that maybe their morning routine that they always stick to, that maybe they only suck to that one morning in three months, but it made the Instagram post. But what's also creepy about it is it's talking about how these algorithms work. And I know how these algorithms work, but right now they're able to do it at such a rapid speed that they're talking about how we think that Facebook is the product, that we're going on to play with the product, but we are the product because we're not the customer. The people that are paying for ads are the customer. So it's not even just that we are the product, it's our behavior change that's the product. And so their ability to influence our behavior and understand with one click, oh, if I show this person this, suddenly they'll get back on or they'll do a like, or maybe I'll bring up this friend, this is almost a guaranteed like, or I'll show them this image that makes them feel insecure in this way, and it's sort of terrifying. So it's like we've already been working to fix this broken compass on a natural level, and now we have this powerful, like the most powerful technological algorithm in the world that is shifting our compasses on purpose. So how do we start to fix this or go against this to make sure that we're really aligned with that real true north and not the true north that has been created for us. One of my friends even sent me a message. She's like, because we watched the movie at the same time. And she's like, I just told my husband, I can't trust anything I see anymore because I don't know if I actually like it or if it's because it's who they've created me to be. (laughs) So what do we do to, to stay aligned? What do we do to stay aligned? First of all, I, now I'm going to have to go watch that. You <laughs> have, to. I have to go watch that. Although maybe I don't want to watch it because it's just going to freak me out. Anymore. <laughs> um, but it's true uh, in terms of how do we, how do we even know ourselves? I, I have conversations with a lot of youth at, at school events. And I remember talking to students who are more concerned with the hearts, the likes on their page than they are with liking the person they see in the mirror in the morning. The first thing that they're having, the first thought that they're having in the morning is I'm not pretty enough, I'm not skinny enough, or I'm not fit enough, I'm not smart enough, like all of these things because of all of the algorithms and stuff you're talking about. 
And in fact, in the UK, they're actually working towards requiring it that you have to put that your image is edited on social media so that people know that this isn't who you are, isn't who you look like, so that it could help reduce the rate of suicide and and dis- body dysmorphia that's happening with our youth. So there's so many things at play that are, are skewing our vision of ourselves. that stepping back is... We want everything instantly, right? Like we need that instant gratification. So the hard part is this requires a discipline, a focus, a focus on yourself and a focus on yourself that says, again, the true self is definitely being skewed. It's constantly being altered because of all these external forces. But if we take an inventory, again, asking ourselves, what is truly important to me? And I will be honest, I have asked many people and especially with the youth, they're like, I want to be Insta famous. I know you can't see me listening, but I am like smacking my head right now. <laughs> right? Like, please, like this hurts me to think that fame, notoriety, what does that really mean? So that's the first thing is what I truly believe at the core of each human being is the desire to be seen. We say it's fame, but when we say we want to be famous, it it's really saying I want to be seen. When you say I want to have a big house and I want a lot of money, it says I want security. I want to feel safe. I want to know that I'm, I'm taken care of. You know, these are the things that if we can dig a little further than the superficial and ask some really good questions of ourselves, which I certainly hope through the book people can be guided in, then we can start to ask those questions. Is it that I really want to be famous or is it that I just want, I want to feel like I leave a mark, that I have a legacy, that I'm not insignificant Because we hear so many times, I'm just one person. So even in sharing a story, I've had people when I've spoken at events, they're like, your story is so powerful. Your experiences are powerful. I don't have anything like that. We believe that our stories have to be blockbusters, right? Like that they have to be these big, crazy movies with dramatic traumas and drama that's happening to it. We don't value the, the small conversations sitting around a campfire until COVID hits and you can't sit around a campfire with people you love. You you take for granted being able to, to go down the street without wearing a mask or hugging your grandparents because those things weren't at our weren't a priority to us. Now I think more than ever people are asking themselves, what is truly important to me? That's that's our belief system. And unless we can come up with what our belief system is, what do I truly believe at my core? What do I desire? What what changes? what I think, what I feel, what I experience, and then look at my experiences. How are my experiences influencing what I want out of my life? Um, And knowing that part of it, you know, I have a chapter in the book called The Nalgene Dilemma that looks at the labels that we stick on ourselves, much like Nalgene water bottles, people stick stickers all over it. And at some point, if you put too many stickers on it, you contain even the top of the container and the container no longer has a purpose, right? Its purpose was to hold liquids. But if we cover it with all these labels that we do in life, I'm a mother, I'm a father, I'm a entrepreneur, I'm a student, I'm an athlete, I'm all these things, we keep sticking it onto this bottle, we lose our purpose. And people think it's as simple then as peeling these labels off. But if you've ever had an Nalgene bottle with many stickers on it, it's darn near impossible to get all the goo off, right? <laughs> <laughs> so it's sticky. So there's there's residue and looking at that residue of the labels that sometimes are placed on us, not even labels we gave ourselves, right? Like maybe you were called an athlete from a young age because you were a very active child, but you never really resonated with that. And so that influences choices that you're making and doesn't allow you to fully be the person that you want to be. 
So looking at labels, looking at our compass, looking at our experiences, asking good questions can help reset our compass. And and know that you don't have to reset the whole thing. You don't have to turn the dial back completely. It's just one small act at a time that we start reclaiming our voice, reclaiming our actions, reclaiming our story. And I think that's so important is when we step back as an observer and we reclaim our story, we give less power to things like algorithms that say that because I clicked on this thing that I'm going to do this. I'm more than that algorithm. I'm more than numbers and robots and engineers and scientists coming together, trying to calculate, trying to narrow me down to a simple, although not simple, but for this case, a simple algorithm that quantifies me as just a number, just as an entity. I'm so much more than that. And that's, that's what we could begin to see in finding our true, our true north is recognizing that our essence, our being is way more than we even realize in this moment. And it's going to take a lifetime to experience it because that's what life is about, a lifetime of learning who we are. You don't have to have the answer right now. Right. And I think one of the most powerful aspects of that is just that awareness. I remember watching something about how the television programs that we watch can program us, how they are programming in different ways. And somebody's like, well, this isn't all doom and gloom. Doesn't mean you need to completely stop watching television. Sometimes it's just the awareness that this might be influencing me. How? And that gives you power over that one moment. And one of the examples that, oh, I can't think of the specific author, but he was talking about the most powerful commercials that do this are prescription commercials because they have had millions of dollars going into the science of exactly what type of pain to show, the music to show, the things to say, like, have you been experiencing knee pain? You might have this. So then every single person that's experiencing knee pain plants a seed of an idea in their head that they might have rheumatoid arthritis or something like that, when really it's just knee pain. And so you could still watch those. I, I, I like to mute them. I like to just play the safe way. But even just watching it and being like, man, I see what you're trying to do gives you the power in that moment instead of just absorbing. And as you say in your book, following blindly. And so you also alluded to the idea of us being this third party in our mind and that we're not our thoughts. We're this little observer behind our thoughts. And I was watching a talk by Michael Singer that put it really well. His spiritual awakening was actually just in a dumb moment with a friend where they were talking and it's like a best friend. They should be comfortable with silence. And there was a moment of silence. And all of a sudden he could hear his voice like thinking of stuff to say. And then he had this weird separation moment of being like, what are you doing? This is ridiculous. Like you're just sitting on a couch with your friend. Like who cares? And the thoughts were still going, like, maybe I should talk about the weather. Maybe I should talk about this. And he could see his friend going through the same thing. So he just instead broke it and was like, do you ever notice that voice in your head? Is it trying to tell you to come up with things to say? And that was like the start of this huge spiritual journey for him. And to bring it back to the idea that you were talking about how we think it's like this big thing in our lives that cause who we are or that really shape who we are. And there was a quote that I highlighted that said that we like feel guilty because there must be a single trauma that leaves me off the path instead of a thousand little paper cuts that finally caused me to bleed out. And I just resonate with that so much because it's these little moments of choice. Am I going to just blindly follow it? Am I going to just absorb this and believe what this message is giving me? Or am I going to at least just have awareness? And you don't necessarily need to know what you're going to do with that awareness. You just need to have it and be willing to listen to that higher voice instead of following down the path that you're being led, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Even, you know, when you ask me in terms of like tools to use, 
listening to something like this podcast. Like this <laughs> podcast, asking these questions, having these conversations. I mean, that's why we listen to podcasts, right? Like we're trying to learn more. We're trying to understand more. And something as simple, even while you're commuting to and from work, listening to this, or maybe you're walking on a treadmill, or you're walking your dog. Hopefully you're somewhere safe. Like, but, you know, please be somewhere safe. But these things influence it. You know, I heard a, a study talking about Legally Blonde with Reese Witherspoon, that after Legally Blonde came out, the increase in amount of women who decided to become lawyers after seeing that movie. Now, okay, first of all, I had like, a small moment of concern, like, please tell me that these women didn't think that law school was going to be like Elle Woods experienced in Legally Blonde. But also speaking to the power of these influences of like just seeing themselves as a lawyer, because we resonate with being able to see ourselves. And that's why these stories matter. Somebody and so many women have thought, oh, I can be a lawyer. I can do this. I'm, I'm, and the reasoning or rationale maybe was even, okay, I'm definitely smarter than this, this character. So if she could do it, I could do it. I mean, granted it's Hollywood. There's clearly some liberties here, but that's the same point in Struggle Guru. I ask people like, Struggle Gurus unite. I want people to come together because when you share your story, you empower somebody else to share their story, which starts the conversation, much like the two friends being like, wow, we're both having the same thought going through our head to open the dialogue and look at what the stories are that are playing in our minds and start to shape them and shift them in ways that are better serving to our needs in this moment. Right? Like very clear in this moment, by being present in this moment, we input the future, we learn from the past. I wish I'm not as fast as I was when I was in my 20s. Or I'm not as smart. I'm not as skinny. I'm not this. Guess what? The person you were then was courageous, smart enough, brave enough, whatever you want, adjective you want to add to bring you to this moment. Honor this person in this moment because all of the past yous made you who you are now. That's not a bad thing. And if you don't love who this person is now, Know that you also have the capacity in this present moment to, to then shift who you'll be in the future by making conscious choices now to see who you are and where you want to be. Right. It's like if you saw a video of yourself learning to walk when you were a kid, you wouldn't suddenly be like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> like, what a loser that that kid can barely walk. <laughs> You'd be like, oh, how cute. Like, those are my first right. steps. Thank you for learning right then so that I can walk today. Because <laughs> if I had chickened out, I'd just be sitting here, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and it, but we don't have that same grace for ourselves with these other struggles. Like we have the expectations that just because that person in our mind was still us, that that is us now, but it's, we are constantly changing at every given moment. I mean, we're shedding cells and regrowing cells. Like I, I read that every seven years, we're actually a completely different person as far as our cells go, which is really crazy when you think about it. And so it's just like practicing to have the compassion for our past selves is so important. And I also really found the healing when I started to share my story, but I had to get there. It's like, I was going through it. I was bringing awareness and then there was a moment where I was in a conversation with a friend that suddenly a part of my story that I had never told before came out. And I remember the weight that was off of my shoulders. But one thing I see because of the Instagram age, I went through this and blah, 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 that some people are even feeling pressured to come out in this big way with their stories. So how do you get there of that place where you're, you're bringing the awareness, maybe you're uncovering certain things to the place that you're sharing your story from an authentic place instead of 
following blindly? So for myself, let's use the book as as an example. When I was 16 years old, I'm 36 years old now, so that's 20 years ago. I wrote a book in my bedroom, like on paper when, you know, computers weren't as an accessible (laughs) resource called Stop. It's the only way to go. And the point of the book that I started to write at 16 years old is that we need to take pause in order to truly progress our lives forward, which I still look back, I still have a copy of this. And I think to myself, wow, I was so smart at 16, right? It took me 20 years to take very, very much the underlying message in that and bring it forward to Struggle Guru. It took 20 years of patience and knowing truly in my heart and my being that this was the right time to share the message, even though there were a thousand times that told me, you could write this now, you should put this out now, you could share this story. Even if I didn't have the same title, the message was still universal. And I think that, like you said, people feel pressured to share this information, to share their experience and come out and share their story before they're ready. And I can equate that to the amount of times people tried to pressure me into coming out, like within the LGBTQ plus community. And, you know, I'd have people who had these big grand stories of like how they came out and the experiences they had. And I'm just like, I waited till my mom almost went to bed and was like half asleep having a conversation to tell her. (laughs) I was like, okay, you almost asleep? Okay, so I got something to tell you. (laughs) You know, know, and other people were like, I sat them down. I looked them in the eye. I'm like, I waited until I saw both eyelids touching softly, almost completely asleep. And I could hear a small snore. And then I shouted it. So then I could see how she responded. But then if she if she seemed upset that I could disregard it the next day, like, yeah, you you were saying some crazy things last night. My mom, you know, could then discredit it, right? <laughs> I, I, I still look back at that and think, I don't think I was really ready then to come out. But I felt this pressure too. There isn't a pressure. There is a time. And I, I try to, you know, there are songs that are written, poetry that says we're all uniquely created, right? There's no one else exactly like you. Even if you're a twin, there are still differences. Like there is no one like you, which means no one's timetable is yours. No one's is yours. So if you could let that sink in, that everything that's going to happen in your life needs to happen in your time space and that other people will share before you, some will share after you, but that yours is, again, for me, spiritually, divinely created to happen when it's meant to happen. Sometimes that allows us to be a little bit more patient, not always, but not feeling this pressure to have to just share it to share it. Maybe right now, the best thing for you in your healing, in your understanding with your struggle is to just listen, is to absorb. It's that it's that experience, right? Like it's that Eastern compass. Maybe in order to find the North and the South, to understand your belief systems or know who your true self is, you just need to sit in the education, sit in the experiences that you're surrounding yourself with, but be witness to those experiences. Like you're saying with television, being aware of what the message is that someone's trying to send send you and ask, how does this resonate with me? And we have a very visceral response to things that truly mean something to us. I've asked students before to like, place your hand on your heart and ask yourself a question that you're uncertain about. Like, should I take this job? And if it excites you, your heart rate's going to go up. You're, you're going to feel almost like a tingling and, like, and an excitement. It might be a little anxiety. That's natural. But you're going to feel this change. And it's very different than if you have dread or fear or anxiety, you'll feel it in your body. And if you can just sit with that, just 
I've sat in meditations where I've had like important questions to ask myself about choices I'm making. And I'll just keep my hands on my chest and I just keep asking. And I sit after I ask the question and just notice every sensation in my body. And then I write it down and I come back to it for like a week and notice if the sensations have changed, stayed the same, maybe they're different. And then it helps me to make better decisions for myself in terms of, is this the right time to come forward with this? Is this the right time to share this part of the story or make this transition? I like that idea of doing it multiple times and seeing how it's shifting because I have found, you know, I'm on a path of growth and I have found that there's plenty of opportunities that do freak me out. And so it's easy to confuse that of like, like, well, this is the next step to my growth and it's a, a good, healthy fear and it's a normal fear because it's just unfamiliar versus... I don't know, almost like a laziness or I shouldn't do this. I was actually listening to that talk with Michael Singer and I was going through this one moment where somebody wanted to shift my event to a virtual event. I'm like, I don't even know how I'm going to do this. I was more excited about the in-person event, but this is the world we're living in now, you know? So I was just going through all these thoughts and part of me was very resistant to it, but I sat with it for a while in a different way, but I feel like yours would have been more helpful to actually write down all of the sensations that I was feeling. But instead I just sat on it and didn't answer the email for eight days. And uh, I had to really <laughs> uncouple the idea that, you know, you're just afraid of adding something new. There's a lot going on in your life. You can do this. It is a good time to do it. And like almost like a pros and cons list, which doesn't always work for me, but it did in this case. And, and so it's like uncoupling that idea of like, sometimes there is a fear or you have this programming of you're already have been allowing your mind to talk you out of these new experiences over and over again. So it's kind of hard to differentiate which things those are, but to the more that you practice tuning into your body and really understand your own language, the clearer it becomes because you've sat with it enough times. But instead we're like, oh, I heard to listen to my body and they try it one time. They have no idea what their body's saying. They just feel a heartbeat, you know, <laughs> but it takes that coming back to it. It's like you don't learn Spanish in one sitting. <laughs> You're also not going to learn your own body's language if you've been ignoring it for however long. But I do have to ask, because I feel like I'm on the edge of my seat of this story. How did your mom react? <laughs> it wasn't great. Um, oh. I mean, now the, her response was, if your God, if you believe that your God is okay with that, that's your decision. And I was like, wait a minute, we've been praying to the same God my entire life. Like, did we pick to, does my, so now that I'm coming out, does that mean like mine comes with glitter and like there are more unicorns involved <laughs> in mine or like, mine's like a party version of God? What is this? I don't understand. Um, I mean, that was, that was a hard, hard time in our life, but you know what? Now, I mean, now my mom and I have this amazing relationship and she's so supportive of my wife and I, and I'm so grateful for that. But I also, I don't want to go back to that moment ever. <laughs> It was, it's terrifying. And that's, it's terrifying. I mean, and quite honestly, people also think, and this doesn't have to apply to sexual orientation, but people feel like coming out happens once. Even as this book has come out, I've come out now multiple times, almost any podcast or interview or interaction I have with someone, somebody wants to ask about it again or ask about the experience. And, and even my own understanding in terms of my identity has changed and evolved because there were things that I was conditioned to believe even by society and my experiences, right? Like going back to my compass, my experience, my wisdom, my belief system, my belief system as, as a devout Christian said that everything about me was a sin and was wrong and that I needed to pray it away. And, and I disagree with that. Um, you know, it took all this rectifying and it like, it spun my compass as well. And it's still evolving. Um, and I think that patience in that is, 
is hard. So it's, there are a lot of things in our life we'll continue to feel like we're coming out over and over again. It might be a job. You thought you had the right job and you won't change that job because everybody thought that was the career you were supposed to have. So you refuse to change it because like you were saying, like the fear or the unfamiliarity of it is too much. It's easy. More people will choose to stay in what's uncomfortable because they know it than move into something that is uncomfortable that could benefit them. Like, doesn't that kind of like bend your mind a bit to think like, if you could have your dream job, but you'd be uncomfortable for six to eight months, not like uncomfortable necessarily financially or just uncomfortable because it's new, or you could stay in the job that you hate and continue to make the same money, but it's safe. What would you think people would pick? You think people would pick the thing that makes them happy, but they don't. They stay in the thing that makes them miserable. And that goes back to even in depression. We have the resources, we have the education, but application is a totally different thing. And being able to apply that is a continual process. So if you're coming out, your parents just know they might not all be rainbows and unicorns. (laughs) I think that's such a good point, though, about it's like we forget that just because it's familiar, it's also uncomfortable. Otherwise, you wouldn't be craving a change or having this inner voice that's like telling you that there's something more out there, but it's just easier to stay. Familiar discomfort is not any better than unfamiliar discomfort. It's actually worse because you know what's there. (laughs) There's nothing else that's opening up to you. You've been sitting it for so long. But the unfamiliar discomfort, you have no idea what's beyond that discomfort or what happens when you when that becomes the familiar, what if it's everything you've ever wanted? What if your composition and your day-to-day moment changes and how you show up in the world changes? And we expect that the right thing for us is going to be, or the truth or the whatever it is, is going to be the thing that feels good automatically, immediately. That's not always how it is because we have to get used to this new normal or that we're creating or this new thing that we're creating. And it kind of reminds me about like even having the grace to allow the emotions of yourself and other people like sounds like you have a great relationship with your mom now but it's like she too had to get used to the idea somebody i can't remember what story i was hearing but somebody's like well don't forget that you've had however many years sitting on this trying to figure out how to tell me and i'm just finding out in this moment like let me come to terms Mm -hmm. with it too and the first instinct might not always be the best like i remember when i first told somebody that i was I had struggled in the past with bulimia for a really long time. And I was, I shared with this an ex-boyfriend uh, that we were together at the time that I did have bulimia. And his he's actually not a bad person. And his first reaction, though, it was like defense. Like, I feel like there was I got some bait and switch with the girlfriend that I had back in those days. And I was deeply hurt for a moment. But it was the most profound moment also because it was when my inner voice was the loudest. I hadn't even done a ton of work yet. And I just heard, just allow him a moment to process. And I allow that to be fair, kind of like you, how you're like, I don't want to go back to that moment. If when I think about that moment too hard, it still feels like a wound. I could probably make myself cry (laughs) because it's just such a vulnerable thing. But I think there's so much importance in allowing each other those first initial reactions, because it's going to make us more compassionate with ourselves when we're going through something. And it's like, oh, no, hell no. I don't want anything to do with that. Hold on. Take a few deep breaths. Think about what's on the other side of this and just giving grace to the human condition, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And that's, again, part of the reason I I would love for more people to share their stories and struggle, because it's only allowing us to expand the language 
We're expanding the language of struggle and opening the door for more grace and compassion for one another. And you may think you've heard every person's depression story, so why would somebody want to hear yours? But yours might be the one that is that piece that takes somebody out of, I know the information and I don't want to do anything about it, victim mentality, to I'm going to take action. This story resonated with me because everybody's story touches somebody differently. We have power collectively to transform. And so many are just terrified to use their voice because there's always that little voice in the back of our head that says, you're not enough. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to know. And I want people, if they get nothing else out of the book, to know it does matter. They do matter. I do see them. There is a community of people who see you and want to support you. And you don't have to be alone. And you don't have to feel like your struggles are scars. They are something that have made you a warrior. And it is something that is going to allow you to transform generations to come. And your legacy can be, your struggle can become your legacy in such a powerful way that it illuminates parts of the world that were dark that we never even knew existed. Right. And, and for those people that are like, well, should I share my story? Maybe thinking about it, feeling sort of pulled, having that inner voice, pulling them back. Remember that it doesn't mean you need to come out with a movie about it or like have a million followers suddenly know everything. It could start with one conversation with a best friend or your mom. It could start with you just writing it out and seeing it from a different perspective. So it doesn't have to look like these versions of people that you're seeing online sharing your story that's not always how each person resonates with that idea. It could be on a much smaller scale and that could be exactly what's right for you. So for listeners who are interested in learning more about you and the ways they can share their story, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? Um, so the easiest would be on my website. It's kbwaters.com. So water, like body of water. <laughs> um, so on there has my social media connections, emails. So you'll connect directly to me. So any email that comes through, it is to me. And, you know, it, just a simple hello. If you're not even sure where to start, just send your name, send your email and say, I just, I heard you online. I heard you on this podcast. I wanted to say hello and we can start a conversation. Sometimes it's just that little spark. That's all we need. All of the links from this episode will be at mindlove.com slash 154. So this week, your challenge is to evaluate the stories you've been telling yourself. We've all gone through something hard and it isn't a time to compare. You might hear somebody else's story and be like, holy crap, that is so much harder than what I've gone through. What am I even talking about? But it actually doesn't do you any good dismissing your own stories. You don't know what you've dealt with in past lives. You don't know what you're going to deal with in the future. The only thing we can do is recognize our struggles and figure out maybe why our soul chose those or how we were behaving to allow something like that into our lives. I want to make it clear that looking at something in that way is not taking the blame for the things you've gone through. None of it's your fault. You couldn't have done something differently to make sure that bad things never happened to you. That doesn't serve you at all. It's more about who was I then and who do I want to be now? What have I learned from that that I'm going to take with me into the future? Not just to protect myself, but to benefit my life moving forward. I think a lot of times we look at these protection mechanisms as something to avoid anything going wrong, when a lot of times those protection mechanisms are actually a disservice. For example, 
we're in a relationship, somebody cheats on us, and then we never fully trust again or allow ourselves to open up in a relationship again because in case that happens, we will not allow it to hurt so deeply. But what that does is it actually keeps you at a distance from every relationship moving forward. So you're allowing the wound to stay open and never quite heal. So it's so important to evaluate the stories that we're telling ourselves because we'll start to uncover the beliefs that are underneath and we'll see how it's affecting our lives currently. And at the same time, you'll start to identify areas in which you're telling your story in a way that gives away your power versus a way that is claiming your power and developing more and more strength each time you tell it instead of giving your power away and reliving your trauma each time you tell it. We all have these stories, some deep traumas, some minor things that we just tend to retell. So get really clear on some of those or make it a habit to just notice when are you talking about the past? What is it for? Is it serving me? Is it helping me be a better version of myself now or is it taking me back to that moment? The clearer we can become or the more awareness that we can bring to each story really, the more we'll notice the opportunity to find meaning. So if this episode was helpful for you, please share it with a friend or a family member. You can tap the little share button, send it directly in a text message, or you can take a screenshot and share it on social media. I love when that happens. Just tag Mind Love Podcast and Mind Love Melissa. If you haven't left a five-star review and you love this podcast, it is so, so helpful. I will love you forever. And there's also a premium membership. If you don't know about it, you can go to mindlove.com slash premium. We do twice as many episodes. So you'll get extra episodes on Fridays. You'll get ad-free episodes. You'll get free meditations and a community of like-minded people. So I'd love to see you in there. And otherwise, as always, thanks for giving your mind a little love today. And I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week.